Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I'm joined by Peter Fitchin. So Peter has been on the podcast before. He was actually on on episode 62, which I can't believe how long ago that was. And I was just saying to Peter how it's bad of me to have not had him on for so long, uh, but he's been still doing excellent work in the background. And for those of you who don't know Peter, uh, he has a PhD in nutritional sciences. Uh, he is a coach and competitor for natural bodybuilders. And actually on that note, are you in prep right now, uh, Peter? Uh, yeah, I, I may or may not be. I'm, I'm keeping keeping on the download there. But um, the only thing I have set in stone at this point is a photo shoot for sure um, this spring. So, Yeah, I was just uh, checking over. Well, I'd seen some of your posts on Instagram and on Facebook. And I was like, wow, like the although it's been like years and years and years, this is natural bodybuilding at its best. Peter's physique has come so far. And for someone like myself, I'm, I put myself in a similar kind of position to you where it's like, we're not genetically massively blessed. I mean, by no means like terrible, um, no. but to see how much progress you've made over the years is really, really cool to see like seemingly like the same body weights, but just impressively more conditioned, more muscle density. So um, yeah, just props to you for doing the natural bodybuilding thing properly for so long. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I think, you know, a big part of that is just the sheer amount of time I have spent out of a deficit. I mean, I've been lifting weights for 18 years. My first show was almost 16 years ago now. Um, and I have, uh, you know, I, I've spent, I've, I've always done two to four years, you know, between shows. So I've had, especially as I've gotten older, um, and train longer. It's been, you know, four years between shows. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll spend, you know, I'll, of those four years, maybe I, I'm prepping for this, you know, between the end of one prep and the start of the next prep, it'll be something like 38, 40 months, something like that. And, and of that time, maybe I do a couple like, you know, two to four month mini cuts, but like outside of maybe six months or something like that, you know, the rest, you know, 32, 34 out of 40 months, you know, are spent not dieting. Um, and I, I think that, you know, that's huge, you know, and, and the fact that I live at 20, 30 plus over stage, you know, not, not 50 or 60 or something, yeah. you know, obscenely high, but 20, 30, even maybe 40 over stage, um, you know, at, at times. And, and, you know, I, I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't, get lean for summer, care about any of that stuff. It's more just eat food, lift heavy, make progress. And it's, it's cool because every time, you know, you, you know, as well as I do, right. In the off season, you know, your weight's heavier and it's like, God, am I making any progress here? Like you, 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 you're like, it's been six months. Am I, have I gotten anywhere, you know, like, and it, but it's cool. Like when you give it three, four years and you come back down to some of these body weights and body fat and you start, looking at side by sides of like four years ago or eight years ago or 12 years ago, something like that in the same way. It's really cool to see like, all right, all that work I was putting in was actually getting me somewhere when I was questioning, like, am, is anything even happening? Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess it's just an analogy. I think I've heard before. I may have even said it before is like, if you're building a house during the time you're kind of building the house, you've got like bricks everywhere. Nothing looks particularly tidy. You can't really see the finished product. And it's not until you take a, like a few weeks to clean up the house, to put on the final touches. And then it's like, wow, I've got this like 
amazing looking house. It's similar. I was kind of shocked having invested like three years into my last off season and I've cut down for just like 10 weeks. And I'm like, how have I, like so quickly everything's come together and I'm like, oh, there's some new things on this house, I guess, um, yeah. in that analogy term. So yeah, it's the, it's the difficult thing is like you said, selling yourself on that investment and not cutting down so frequently to try and see what's underneath. Yeah. 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 And just being comfortable with, um, you know, being, you know, having your body fat be, I wouldn't even say higher, just a place that's sustainable where you're strong, you know, cause nothing about being stage lean is remotely sustainable. <laughs> Absolutely. And actually that's something, um, I was, we were going to talk about is the nutritional recommendations for physique athletes that you uh, co-authored on with Brandon Roberts, Eric Helms and Eric Trexler, who have all been on the podcast as well. And I just read it through yesterday and I was kind of blown away that this resource and I mean, similarly, the resource that was already out there uh, with the guys was fantastic. And to have this one out there for competitors, it's kind of like every competitor should read this. It's just absolutely invaluable. And obviously you and Cliff, like you said, have also released a book um, all about contest prep and made that kind of available more so to maybe the lay public and people who don't maybe understand the science as much. But I think something that is made very clear now um, and you talked about kind of length of off seasons is that actually getting stage ready and then recovering people don't realize the time investment there uh, and that would be something I'd love to hear you kind of talk through what your um, current kind of preferences are for taking someone to stage like how long and kind of how you'd like to travel that journey and then maybe we can talk about kind of the recovery period and how long that might take and I guess it probably is quite individual as well. Yeah, so there, there's definitely a lot there in that question. Um, so uh, as far as how long someone needs to diet for a show, a lot of that's going to depend on how much they have to lose. You know, if you are, you know, say in a division that isn't as extreme, maybe like bikini where you don't have to get quite as lean and you can hold a little bit leaner body composition and maybe you're 15 pounds over stage weight in your off season and that, that's a doable place your prep's going to be a lot lower than say maybe a young male who needs to add size, who's a bodybuilder, who needs to have strided glutes, uh, and is really had a long off season where he pushed his weight up to 35 pounds over stage weight. Um, you know, those prep lengths aren't going to be the same, you, you know, a 15 pound loss and a 35 pound loss. You, you can't just arbitrarily say 12 week or 16 week prep like that, that doesn't, that, that that's ridiculous. Their needs are going to be different. Um, so I think that's, that's a big thing is how far are you from where you need to be? Um, and then I'm always a fan. If you can, uh, pick a show later on when you are closer to stage lean, like start the process, like start dieting, you're dieting for a show. You have a target rate of loss. We are dieting. Like it, it, it's still contest prep, but pick your sh actual shows, you know, as you get closer, that way you're making sure you're going to be ready versus, um, you know, trying to fit something in. So that way, if something comes up in life, um, whether it be, you know, a minor injury, um, whether it be, uh, you know, something with work or like some stressful situation or, you know, it just, or, or some travel or, or what have you, you can kind of roll with the punches a little bit more and, and not, you know, you're, you're not trying to force something. Um, and so I think, that would be something I, I like as well. And then just dieting slowly. And if you can give yourself an ideal world, if you give yourself more weeks to diet than you have pounds to lose, it's probably a good idea. 
um, because then you can lose something slow, like a, a pound or two a week, or sorry, a pound or so a week, you know, and, and then, um, and then, you know, you're going to hit plateaus along the way. So when you hit plateaus, you're going to have extra weeks built in. So you hit the plateau, you have weeks built in so that, Hey, I'm not behind now. My rate of loss doesn't have to be faster. It still can be around a pound a week. Um, also having extra weeks are going to give you time for things like, uh, having refeed days and having diet breaks and having these periods of time where you're up around maintenance, um, rather than having to just linearly be in a deficit every single day from start to finish. Um, and then two, if you can be ready, you know, if you have more weeks to diet than pounds to lose, you can potentially set yourself up to be ready two, three, four weeks early. Um, and then you can use that extra time to start adding food back in and kind of reverse into your show. Uh, you can test out some peaking stuff, especially if you want to try something more aggressive on the peaking side of things. Um, that That's generally a, a good idea to be ready a couple weeks early so you can test that out and, and uh, find out that, hey, maybe this isn't a good idea, you know, during a time that uh, doesn't matter versus finding out the last week when it does matter. Uh, hey, like this wasn't a good idea. Um, you know, and even if it does go smooth when you test it, you know, I think one other benefit is that, hey, it, it's a heck of a lot less stressful the last week when you know, like, this is exactly how I'm going to respond. This is what I can expect. Um, and really, in general, just giving yourself more weeks to diet than pounds to lose, uh, stress is just going to be lower because you're, you're not going to fall behind right away. It's not going to be the situation where, hey, I got 20 pounds to lose in 20 weeks. And then the first time you hit a plateau, and you know, maybe now you have 16 pounds to lose in 15 weeks. And then you hit another plateau and maybe you have you know, 15 pounds to lose in 12 weeks. And, and as you keep going, you know, your rate of loss that you have to see gets higher and higher and higher. But that's actually the opposite of what you want because you're more susceptible to muscle loss deep in prep when you're super lean. So if you're going to see a little bit quicker loss, it's safer to do it earlier on, not at the end as you're scrambling to, to uh, you know, make up the difference. Um, so I know that that's a lot of things there, but that that's kind of like stuff that I would think about, like, you know, big picture considering setting up, up a prep and how, how I plan that out. Um, and I know you asked coming out of a show as well. Uh, so I, I oftentimes kind of view coming out of the show as kind of a multi-step process. Like the first step is get the person back to feeling more normal. Um, and so that's going to require a little bit faster rate of gain initially. Um, you know, and so there, there is some evidence. You mentioned Eric Trexler and one of his papers showed that if you binge and gain back super quickly, it might not be ideal or optimal for, for hormones to come back. And obviously not gaining weight is not optimal for hormones to come back either. You know, and so finding that middle ground where maybe you're gaining about a pop, one to two pounds a week, you know, for the first four, six, eight weeks till you feel normal again, you know, get 10, 15 pounds on, you start to feel more normal. Um, and then as you start to feel more normal, rate of gain doesn't have to keep going up, you know, two pounds a week or something like that. Uh, I think that that's a mistake people make also is you get 15 pounds over stage weight, you're starting to feel more normal. You don't need to keep gaining one to two pounds a week like that. That initial gain, you need that. that that's body fat that needs to come back that is helping hormones, metabolic rate come back, helping you feel good. Um, but then from there, you're just adding more body fat, you know, if you keep gaining at that rate. And so slowing rate of gain down um, to a pound, maybe two pounds a month, something like that. And that way you're, you know, we talked about lengthy amounts of time out of a deficit in the off season mm -hmm. and by not gaining super fast and rushing into cuts all the time um, that, that, you know, will help you do that. And so, 
yeah, I look at it as kind of two phases. Is it, the get you know first one to two, you know first six, four, six, eight weeks, gain a little quicker, start feeling normal again. Um, so and then from there, you know, slow it and and you know just using myself as an example, like my last prep coming out of my shows, I was 158, 159 carved up after a rapid backload. Um, I enjoyed some food. You know, Saturday night had a couple meals out. Sunday, um, Monday morning I was like 163 or something like that. So not not awful. I you know I, I had some food, but no binge. Um, and then uh, I think it was something like three months it took me to get up to 180. So I mean I 17 pounds in three months. But 180 is kind of that bottom of my like sweet spot, you know. And mm -hmm. and then from there it took me if I remember right, like eight months, nine months to go from 180 to like the low to mid 190s. Like, you know, I, you know, rate of gain was slowed down. And so you see that initial like push to get me feeling more normal over the first couple months and then slow it down um, from there and, and really maximize time out of a deficit. And I didn't go into a deficit for like a year after my, my last show. And even then it was just a three month cut. So like that, that's how I would, I, I know that was a long answer, but you know, that's how going into a show and coming out of a show, like how I, I would think of things. Yeah, no, fantastic. And uh, I, it was a very broad question to be fair. And um, I really liked the methodical kind of stepwise approach you took through it. And also like identifying that people are different and something that sprung to my mind was obviously, uh, and actually I really like, and I almost, I think this is going to be the quote from a podcast is like, give yourself more weeks than you have pounds to lose. I think that's just a fantastic, easy heuristic to think of. Is there yeah. a kind of maximum, if someone was say, I don't know, is there a certain amount of body fat or percentage above stage weight or pounds above stage weight you'd ideally like someone to start prep? Is there such a thing as starting so far out that you almost need like a diet to set up another diet? Is that something yeah, that you've ever that, kind of looked that's, into? That's what I was just going to say is where that where do you call like prep starting, right? You know, yeah. like so um, is if someone like in my case, I yeah, I, I usually end up my off seasons you know, a lot of times I'm 35 pounds over stage. So I don't do that in one swoop. Usually it's get myself down 20, 25, you know, 20 pounds or so, 25 pounds, something like that. Take a diet break for a month or two and then, and then go the rest of the way. Um, and that's the approach I use with clients who have a little bit more to lose, assuming they have the time to do that. I mean, sometimes yeah. you don't have the time to do that. And so, um, and I, I've had preps where I started working with a client where we thought we had the time to do that stuff came up and we didn't. And so it turned into, Hey, but we got to linearly go down the whole way just cause that's what we got to do. Um, but yeah, if you have the time and things go smoothly in an ideal world, yeah, I, I would break that up. I don't know if there's any specific amount. Um, and, and then, like I said, how do you, how do you define that? Like where does prep prep start, you know? And so I, I always have clients ask me, well, am I prepping now? I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Like, I don't know what, like you're dieting, right? And then there's a diet break and then you're dieting again. Like where in there is, yeah, I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but yeah, I, I completely agree with you that at some point, um, you know, you are going to want to probably break that up if you can. Uh, the only thing I would say on that is if you're going to take like a more extended diet break where we're talking, you know, a month or two, you know, or, or I think I had a client do like a three month one last year you know, in, in, to break his cut up. Um, cause he, he wasn't in a rush and it was awesome. Um, and you know, when you're taking these one, two, three month diet breaks, 
you need, and you're taking them part of the way through the prep, you need to take that diet break at a body composition that's still sustainable. Um, you know, at some point you're going to drop, you know, into somewhere that's not sustainable. You're going to feel all the effects of prep. Strength's going to be down. Energy's going to be down. You're going to be hungry. Your sleep's going to suck. No sex drive. Not remotely regular. You know, all all of that stuff is is going to happen. At, you know, once you get lean enough, and you don't need to drag that out for two or three months. So if you're going to take a two or three month diet break, you know, it might not be a bad idea. Like if here's the line of like, you know, when I go below this, I start feeling like crap. Like just kind of right up next to the line, and then you know, at, at some one of the lower weights you can hold, and then diet break there, because um, then that'll help set you up for that push into the kind of the unsustainable place. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't do a prolonged diet break like that at an unsustainable place. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of the Revive Stronger member site. Inside you'll find a thriving forum, a growing exercise library, presentations, research reviews, and courses. If you want to get involved, sign up via the description. I love that, uh, partly because it's uh, very real to me right now in that uh, that's the way I like to do things as well is kind of get, I call it, and I don't know if this is necessarily the right scientific term, but like a lower end settling point range where someone yeah. basically, like you said, they don't feel like they're in prep yet. And you can yeah. just about sustain that, remove a lot of the diet fatigue that's probably built up over the year, uh, years, over the months, hopefully, not years. Uh, yeah. And then kind of ramp up metabolism again, if you like eat more food, kind of normalize all of that sort of thing, and then get into kind of, like I, I term like the digging period or yep. uh, like it's just a period of time where like you said you're just not feeling good and you don't really extend that period as long as uh, as much as you possibly can because uh, and that's something I was trying to kind of touch on was uh, the the idea of long preps is becoming more prevalent but there's only so long because you don't want to be in that kind of uh, like danger zone too long because effectively the stress is still accumulating because it's unsustainable to you. And I think like probably some of the listeners have tried to extend that. And I don't know if you qualify early, say, and you've got finals like months down the line, and you try and sustain this kind of your best shredded physique for that long. I could just imagine uh, the stress accumulates and becomes unsustainable. So yeah, I really like that ideology of take a chunk off, hold it and then take it down because that's going to be more sustainable. And that's something you guys wrote up about in uh, the paper was kind of non-linear dieting. And you spoke about refeeds and kind of diet breaks. Do you have like general preferences for those or ways that you kind of would implement those with clients? Um, you know, I, as far as refeeds go, I, there is some preliminary evidence that you know, doing back-to-back -back refeeds or refeeding over a 48 or 72 hour period is better than refeeding over a 24 hour period when it comes to keeping hormones metabolic rate elevated. And, you know, you extend that further in a diet break of a week or a, several weeks is even better yet, you know, because the longer you can be up around maintenance, the better. Um, but it's a double-edged sword because you still have to be in a deficit. And so, you know, if, if you have one refeed day a week, and your regular days are six regular days are here, and then you had a second refeed day up here, your five regular days have to come down. You had a third refeed day up here, your four regular. And so at some point, those regular days are getting so low. Are, you know, are you able to stay consistent? Is it actually affecting your recovery performance in the gym? Like there, there may be a point of diminished return there. Um, and so for some of my clients who have like just can't get away with as many calories, once a week is probably what we're doing, you know, because 
it, it just, why drive it even lower than it has to already be on those low days? Um, but yes, yeah, so for some, a lot of my clients who can get away with more, we'll do two or three in a row. Um, you know, if their intake's higher, um, I, I worked with a guy last year, just crazy freakish metabolism. Um, and we were doing three high days up to 550 or 600 back to back each week. And his low days were like low to mid threes for carbs. Um, wow. and, and yeah, and, and he was losing just fine on that. And so, um, so yeah, he was doing four lows at low threes and then three highs at like 556. And, and that was great. He had the calories to do that. You know, if I had a female who needed to average 1300 calories or 1200 calories a day for the week, you're not going to do three high days up to 16 or 1800. Like they would be eating probably, I don't know what the math works out to, but it's probably a thousand calories a day or less like that at that point. It's, you know what I mean? The extra yeah. benefit they're getting from the refeeds probably is going to be offset by the fact that are they even going to be able to sustain those low days? Like how much is that going to affect their performance? And so I think there's a balancing act um, there as well. Um, and then with diet breaks, I did, I'm not someone who usually plans them in. Out, I don't plan them in per se outside of the fact that like, hey, we have the time built into your prep. Like you'll have time most likely to do these if if things go well. Um, I, I typically if something's going well, I don't change it. You know, so if if someone's dieting and everything's going really really smoothly. Um, I'm not going to say, oh, well, it's been X amount of weeks. Let's diet break now. Like if, yeah. if it's going smoothly, uh, let's ride this out. At some point, it's probably not going. To be. And so that's where we might throw the diet break in. Um, you know, obvi obviously, there's other factors to take into account. Like, hey, if we're ahead of the game and we need to slow things down or, hey, we are going to start venturing into that unsustainable place soon, like we need to take one now. But, um, you know, so there, there are situations like that. But a lot of it is still based on like, if it's going well, let's roll, you know, like, and if it's not, you know, let's diet break. And, and I, I try to, I find it goes a lot better that way because I don't know, I, I have a hard time rationalizing why I'd want to diet break someone or why I myself would want to diet break if my cuts going smooth just because mm -hmm. I think I need to in X amount of weeks. Cool. No, that makes uh, good sense. I guess it's kind of like uh, pre-planning, potentially pre-planning a deload and like knowing you're going to deload, but you take it when it's necessary yeah. rather than just taking it arbitrarily and that, so that's actually how i approach deloads with clients as well is we oh. know you're going to take one at some point um and so we look at like okay so it's three four weeks down the road how are you feeling how are things going can we extend a couple more weeks you know and 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 check in you know so I, yeah i with clients i i'll only program like three four five weeks usually something like that at a time and then we check in and see, and maybe we add a week or two, or maybe we deal with it. You know what I mean? And, and it, yeah, it's very much when do we need it versus, um, and if they're needing it really soon all the time, I know this is tangent, but if they're needing a deload really soon all the time, then we look at, well, we probably should reduce training volume, right. you know, and, and so that you don't, aren't de having to deload every third or fourth, you know, third week or something like that. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, Something that just came into my mind was uh, something that was spoke about in the paper as well, which I think probably not many people appreciate was the rate of loss and it was 0.5% uh, or less. And I guess maybe this was more applicable towards like the male bodybuilders who are getting very, very lean. So they have a very small amount of body fat on them to be able yeah. to lose. So losing faster is unnecessarily risking muscle loss. Is that something you stick to do? And it was kind of 0.5% or less. Do you kind of plan in periods of time to be losing 
almost limit like limited amounts on the scale almost maybe you're just not even using the scale so much yeah i i still uh i don't know i i probably i think looking at the data 0.5 to 1% is kind of like a good range to be and you really start seeing more muscle loss when you get above 1% in a week so i think that's the highest i would ever you know aim for with someone if at all possible um there is evidence in the data that if you can stick closer to the 0.5 end of that range compared to the 1% end of that range, it still might be a little bit better. Um, but there's a limit, you know, you don't want to drag prep out either. So again, it's, it's finding that balance point, yeah. you know, where you're losing fast enough that prep keeps moving and you're, you're getting somewhere, but you're also losing. It's also slow enough that you're holding on a muscle along the way. And so, you know, like you said, long preps are, are good and there, there's benefits to prepping longer and, and slower, but, um, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to just sit near stage lean and not be getting leaner and, and you know, getting closer to stage lean or getting on stage or something like that, um, or gaining at some point back. Um, so yeah, I, I think that would be my thought is, is you got to find that, that balance point, um, there. No, I like that. And I like actually something you mentioned before, which is making it much clearer is how you either want to be not obviously, but you definitely want to be moving either towards kind of peak stage condition or your leanest, or you want to be moving kind of, you've kind of hit that and now you're moving out. So you almost, maybe you're recovering over a, a post show, or maybe you're like you said, kind of using a kind of reverse diet approach where you're still in that deficit, but you're closing the gap. So it's almost like a, I don't know, a really... Uh, long elongated front load <laughs> for a show yeah, or something yeah and i mean that and, and you know you want you know maintaining stage lean isn't the end of the world if it's done for a short period of time you know i i, I always recommend you know here in the u.s there's a ton of shows so i i always recommend that you know clients do more than one show while they're lean it takes so much work to get yeah. there and if you're doing it the right way, your prep's going to be longer. And that also means your off season is going to need to be longer. It's going to be longer before you, you compete again. And so make the most of your time there. Do more than one show. Um, but do it within, you know, maybe two months, you know, you know, something like that, like a month or two, you know, that way you're only staying there for a, a finite amount of time. Um, and so like my last contest season, I did, three shows and a photo shoot within, I think, seven weeks, uh, something like that. Um, so that was all the longer I was there. Um, you know, in, in my case, I still push for a little more loss between show one and the photo shoot. And then right around there before, between the photo shoot and show two is when I started reversing. Um, but, you know, so I, I really only maintained the leanest I got for a month, maybe. Yeah. And in the kind of assessment of how things are going, obviously I spoke about scale weight, but we also, what we care about as bodybuilders or any physique competitor is how we look. So obviously it's kind of photos and things like this. Um, what is your kind of methodology about collecting that data? Because I, I don't know about you, Peter, but if you just ask a client for photos, you could get a range of like selfies within a mirror. You get these like arm shots within the gym. What's your kind of yeah way of standardizing that so you can really get decent photos to compare? Yeah. So I actually, in my initial plan to clients where it says like pictures, I give instructions of what I want for a picture because that, yeah, that's what you get is like arm photo in the gym or selfie in the mirror and, and things that you can't even like compare. And so 
you know, I always ask for uh, full body pictures taken by someone else or a timer, not through the mirror. Um, normal lighting, standardized time of day, like, you know, same, same location, same time of day um, with your pictures. Uh, you know, and then especially if someone gets closer to competition, hitting poses you're going to hit in competition. Um, one, so we can look at posing, and two, so we can see how it actually looks when they're, they're hitting the pose. Um, and so, yeah, I, those are things I, I definitely ask for, you know, and even when I take my own progress pictures, you know, you see them like my social media, I stand in my hallway, usually it's first thing in the morning before I eat or drink anything. Uh, you know, I'm really white, so it's, it, you know, it, it's, no, it's not like, I'm, you know, I don't have any fancy lighting or filters or something that's helping that at all, you know, so, but you know that when, you know, you look good in those pictures, you're going to look really good with a tan and a pump and food in you and on stage. Excellent. Yeah, it's something I recently re-acquainted with myself because I took some, someone took some video of my back within the gym and I had a pump and obviously had was well-fed and post-workout and like the people commenting that I was like stage ready. And then I took some first thing in the morning, exactly the same as you in the hall. I'm totally pale. And then I like compared the two and one looks like they could look years apart. They look night and day. So something I do you ever find if you rely maybe on just one source, you could get the wrong, make the wrong call. So if you were say just taking those ones where you just always look maybe your worst, they're almost so unflattering. It's you, you'd look better on stage because you're going to have the tan, you're going to have the pump, yeah. decent lighting, and you might end up pushing harder than maybe is necessary. Uh, yeah. Or if you just rely on pumped up ones from the gym, you may not push them and they may have like still m much more off to come. Yeah. And I, I would say, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I would look for a place that doesn't have the worst lighting in the world. Um, you know, my, my hallway has pretty good lighting, but it, um, it's not stage lighting and, and you know, all of that, but you can actually see stuff. Cause yeah, if you're, if your lighting is so bad that you can't really see anything, you know, that that's an issue too. And so it's gotta be good enough. You can see things, but you don't need like the half natty lighting that makes yeah. you look like you're, you know, just crazy shredded when you're not, um, you know, that, that's not going to do you any favors when it comes to actually getting, getting an assessment of where you're at or getting as lean as you need to be on stage. Excellent. Yeah, very well put. Uh, so some of the things I wanted to touch on with you, Peter, as we've gone through some of the points from the paper was some of your really good um, posts over on Instagram, which I highly recommend if you're a competitor for sure or a coach that you check out Peter's Instagram because he puts out some really just posts that make you think, uh, which I really value. So one of them was the kind of ideology and we've kind of touched on some of these points, but the, the thought process of doing whatever it takes uh, to look their best on stage. And then you named off a few points here that people don't recognize to look their best on stage. And I think some of it, like we've already talked about, you've been doing, but I don't know if you want to, I don't know if you remember the post or I can, I can introduce yeah. each point and you can take it point by point if you want to. Yeah, so... You know, I, I found, you know, over the years, just working with clients and just interacting with people in the gym and stuff like they, everyone wants to like compete now and they're, I'll do whatever it takes to be, you know, the best I can be on stage. And then you tell them things like, Hey, you, you may need to diet longer or slower. You know, some of the stuff we talked about before and, and all the reasons why that, that that's going to help them potentially look better on stage than their approach to like get there as fast as they can. Um, or you tell them, Hey, like, 
you're, you know, you're, you're going to need to take an off season. Like competing constantly is the reason you're not looking as good as you could like take an off season, gain weight, um, and, and stay at a sustainable weight and out of a deficit and, and all some of the stuff, like I said, we talked about before, those are all things that are, are part of that, whatever it takes, like whatever it takes may be, Hey, I'm not going to compete for two or three years. I'm going to stay at a body fat that's sustainable. And I'm going to only spend minimal amounts of time in a deficit. Um, because then the next time you diet down, you're going to look significantly better. And then, so that, that's what it takes. Like the competing constantly, it, it isn't what it takes. And something I, I would love to hear your personal, cause we kind of spoke about it, but I don't know if I personally didn't trust it enough or didn't uh, take the word strongly enough until I let myself do it was kind of spending more time out of a deficit than in one and staying too lean. Something I've definitely done in the past is just stay leaner than my body really likes to be. And I didn't notice the negative effects because I was kind of ignorant to them until I had let myself go heavier. So I don't know if you have any experience with that, Peter, where you've stayed too lean and then the benefits you've seen of just letting your body weight go to a position where you feel much more comfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've done, I've definitely done that. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I don't know if I ever stayed too lean. Um, cause I've, I've always gotten, even when I was younger up into the one eighties and the Aussies, I've gotten too heavy. I've gotten as high as 210 when I was like 19, 20 years old. And then I died, I still competed at 156. So that was really rough. That was like a, you know, 50 plus pound loss. Like that was too far. Um, I did hit as high as 197, 198 here uh, almost two years ago here, and it looked better than, than it ever had there. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, allowing – when you get up into, like, for me, it seems like the 180 to 195 range is kind of like that nice spot where my body's just happy. Like, you, you, you get up to a certain body weight, and things just kind of click. Like, in the gym, everything feels good. Um, you, you feel like you're getting stronger. You're making progress. I mean, when I get above 190, like I, I just, it's amazing stuff just moves, you know, like it, it you know, you see um, strength really high on the food side of things too. You have more leeway oftentimes in terms of what you can get away with and, and, you know, not gain. Like, you know, if you have a meal out or something when you're trying to like, if, if I was trying to stay like 165, 170, so like 10 pounds over stage weight, I have a meal out, I probably see a pretty good spike in weight and that might stay, like that weight might stick. Um, if I'm like 185, 190, where I'm 30 pounds over stage weight, you, you know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't seem to make as big a deal. Like it, it doesn't, you, you just have more buffer. Your body just kind of sits there more comfortably. And just overall in terms of, of just hunger in general, you, you just more comfortably sit, you know, that, that's natural settling point. You just more comfortably sit there, you know, and, um, you know, I, I would say for most people, there's, there's probably a range where they can pretty comfortably just sit, uh, you know, their body likes to sit there. There's probably a range. And then we talked about, Hey, there's a line down here where like below it, you know, you feel like crap. There's this range where you feel comfortably. And then there's probably a range where it's like, if I put in some effort, I could stay here and it, it is sustainable, but it takes a little more effort. Um, and so that's probably like where you had mentioned you probably have sat in previous yeah. off season versus just letting it go up to where you, you may, your body may want to sit a little bit more and, you know, not fighting it as much. And, um, yeah, I, I think both mentally and physically there's benefits to that. And, you know, especially on the, the psychological side of things too, not having to be ungodly restrictive, um, 
you know, in the off season can help you go where you need to go when it comes time to prep. So that, that whole, you know, staying more time out of a deficit than in one, um, obviously that helps the physical side of things, but the psychological side of things too, because most of the time then you're not having to be as restrictive. So, so the times you have to be restrictive are the exception, not the norm. So, you know, when, Hey, I need to go to this birthday party at four weeks out from my show and bring my own food. You can do that because that's the exception, you know, and if you do that, you know, if you're doing things the right way, you shouldn't have to do that in future years. That's something I always, you know, tell clients is, okay, you know, Christmas was eight weeks out from your show. You couldn't enjoy all the holiday baked goods with your family this year. That should be the exception. Next year, you shouldn't be dieting over Christmas, and you should go enjoy those foods with your family. You know, that, that should be the norm. Um, and so I, I think there's that aspect of, of spending more time out of a deficit than in one as well. Yeah, I think that's the psychological component that you talked about there, and especially like with food and you just get to a point, I think what I found really valuable was I actually got to a point where I almost disliked, I don't know if I needed to get to the point where I disliked food, but certainly having got to that point made me then find dieting very, very easy. Whereas like you said, when you're trying, even if it's a sustainable weight for you and body fat to maintain, but you kind of are still having to be quite careful about things. And within the uh, paper, again, you talked about like flexible restraint, kind of like flexible dieting type of approach, which can be really great, but there's almost different amounts of that you can flex. And when you let yourself as a bodybuilder, we don't like to think of ourselves as like psychologically weak or needing to kind of let ourselves relax. But when you let yourself come up a bit higher in body fat and your food comes up, that kind of the restraint is much less and you're far more flexible and the kind of stress that that relieves and therefore all the benefits that leads to to training performance you can focus on that i just found that to be kind of really relieving and i think made all the difference for kind of coming back down to diet this time yeah yeah well and just using myself as an example so i you know let 2016 i was like 154 156 walking around you know 158 159 carved up you know so somewhere in there is kind of where i was stagely about 170 is kind of the bottom of like this is once I get below about 170, like that's where that's not sustainable anymore for me. But 180 to 195 is that range where it's like that's where my body naturally settles. So that 170 to 180 range, yeah, I could sit in the low 170s, feel normal, be normal. It would just take a lot more. It would still take more restraint versus you know, up in that 180 to 195 range where I kind of comfortably settle there. Hey, Pascal here. I just quickly wanted to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we put a huge emphasis on the personal aspect of our coaching. And if you want to take your physique and knowledge to the next level, hit the link in the description below. Yeah, I love that. And then another one that you posted about was uh, four. And I, again, I, this really sung to me was four common traits of long-time competitors. Uh, I think hopefully the listeners realize that natural bodybuilding is a sport of, well, sport, if you can call it a sport of delayed gratification. So it's about investing for a long period of time. And then kind of like all of these processes, it's not like you can other sports where you have a competitive season every year and you can be absolutely fine. Like we said, lots of time between those help. So in terms of those four uh, kind of common traits, would love you to kind of touch on those and uh, let the listeners kind of, yeah, learn. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like old man giving the, you know, <laughs> some advice, but my, 
you know, I'm only in my mid thirties, but my first show was 16 years ago this spring and wow. you know, I've been lifting and track. Yeah. So I've been lifting and tracking, you know, doing nutrition, lifting, things like that for 18 years to be 16 competing. Um, and you know, so one thing I've seen over the years is that a lot of people have come and gone. There are a lot of people like you, you know, we talked about before, like you and I are pretty average genetically, like not terrible. Like there are people with far worse genetics than us, and but not stellar either, just pretty typical. Um, and there, but there are a lot of people with really great genetics, a lot of potential that have come and gone. Like I've stepped on stage with people and it's like, man, like I may have beaten you today, but like, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, you're going to get so much farther. Yeah um, than, than I ever will, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you're going to crush me. Um, and then what ends up happening is like, they're there and then they disappear. Um, or you see someone like they, it's like a splash in the pan. Like they, they show up, they win a pro card, like their first year competing, you know, and, and they might do a pro show or two, like right away. And then you just never see them again. Um, and so, you know, I, I think there's, there's definitely some similarities between people who have been doing it as long as I have, or like, you know, people of the, you know, like the Jeff Elberts of the world who are, I think, probably 30 years in, you know, have been doing twice as long as I have even, um, you know, and some of those guys. Uh, and I think, you know, big things, you know, are that they aren't competing constantly. Um, you know, they, they have some of that balance that we talked about where, you know, they are spending more time out of a deficit. They are taking off seasons. Um, they aren't stepping on stage every year. You know, the, they aren't the person who starts competing in, the spring when shows start and you see them at every show in your area till the fall when the shows end. And the only reason they stop competing in the fall, at least in this area of the world is because usually between Thanksgiving and about March, there aren't any shows. Um, but then when the shows start again, they just keep on going. Like those aren't the people that last for 15, 20, 30 years. Um, so I think that's huge. Um, also just not, you know, embracing the process, enjoying something about it rather than competing because competing such a small period of time, like it, it's more than just stepping on stage and competing or how they look and things like that. Um, and then, you know, I, I think it's also important that, you know, they, they're not just completely like placing driven or, or winning driven. Um, oftentimes when someone starts competing, they, they say, Oh, well, I want to win a pro card and, or they want to win the show. And, and yeah, winning's great. We all want to win. I mean, that, that you know, I, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I would say that that's still a goal, like, you know, is winning, but for all of us, but it's, it can't be the only goal. Um, because if you do this long enough, I've been on stage, one, I've been on stage and just gotten crushed by some, you know, I mean, several times. I mean, if you have, if you haven't been, then you haven't been competing in long enough. Um, but, you know, we've also all been in shows where, uh, we place higher than we probably should have, you know, like a spot or two higher. And you're like, huh, that was a little higher. And I thought I was going to be, um, or, you know, you, you place a little bit lower than maybe you should have, you know, because it's subjective. Um, and, and I definitely had both of those as well, you know? And so, um, you know, you can't put everything in placing because there, there's so much of it that you can't control. You can't control who shows up. You can't control what the judges are looking for. All you can control is that when you stepped on stage, you were better than the last time and you, you did everything possible to be at your best that day. Um, and that may be, I, I can think of several situations where a client, you know, maybe competed in a show earlier in the year, placed really well, 
got even better and did another show and didn't place as high. Yeah. That doesn't mean that it was a failure. They still look better than they ever did. Um, so that I'd consider that a success. Um, and so, you know, those are the types of things I would be thinking about if, if you want to be doing this long term. Um, because it can't just be all about competing as much as possible and winning. Um, it, there's got to be, you know, and, and looking a certain way. There's got to be more to it than that if you're going to stick with it long term. Absolutely. I think uh, for me, I uh, it's something I struggle with because with my clients, it's crushing and you probably get the same. If they don't place or don't do as well as they hoped or you hoped and I never like like you said, I don't kind of tell them, oh, I think you're going to go pro. I think you're going to place here. You're going to do really well. It's more of a case of we've done our best. We're going to do as well as we do. I don't like to kind of set them up to fail in that sense, but it's always crushing when they don't place. And as a competitor myself, I know the feeling and the difference between placing well versus not placing well. And it, it feels incredible to place better. So it's such a it's such a tricky one because you like to never place too much emphasis on the placing but I mean, obviously it does just feel better. Um, is there anything you can do or you found yourself um, being able to do to help with your clients kind of making sure that they don't kind of just get completely dissatisfied or uh, do you set them up better for that process so that they're more realistic or they just don't yeah, really think, focus on I it too much? That, I think being realistic, you know, um, I, you know, I, I'll have like, for example, if I have like a young competitor who's like, I want to do my first show, I'm going to do this untested show as a natural, like I am very upfront with them. Like we can do that, but people are going to be taking things you're not. It's your first show. Um, it, it may be difficult to, you know what I mean? To, to place well. Um, and, and, you know, maybe we should consider doing, you know, do the, do the untested show you want to do, but let's consider doing something that's drug tested as well. Um, and get you on more of a level playing field, um, you know, so setting, trying to set, you know, expect, you know, a little bit, not that you can't place well in an untested show as a natural, but the likelihood that a yeah. first time competitor would is, is definitely lower, um, you know, than if they had a level playing field. Um, and so, you know, there, there's some, yeah, setting expectation and then I'm I'm a big fan of doing more than one show while you're stage lean, getting yeah. in front of different judges, getting on stage with different competitors. I mean, here in the U.S., there's there's like the alphabet soup of natural bodybuilding sanctions. So just do more than one. There's probably shows in more than one sanction in your area. Like hop on stage, get in front of a couple of different. You know what I mean? Like yeah. See see what sanction you like, what you don't. We'll see who likes your look, who doesn't. You know, and and there are going to be days where, I mean. Like, like I mentioned, there's going to be days where you're going to, if you stepped on stage in the same lineup, like you, you're going to place higher than you maybe should have. And there's going to be days you place lower than you maybe should have. Um, you know, I've had over the last, you know, 2012, 2016, there were two or three different times where I had one point decisions with people, um, both for and against me, you know, like, um, you know, I, I, I took fourth out of eight and fourth out of nine at two of my pro shows in, in 2016. And third was only one point ahead of me in both of them, you know, but when I won my pro card in 2012, I won my class only by a point, you know, and then I straight up won the overall all first, but the, my class was only a one point. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, those are, that's subjective, right? So, I mean, you, you know, it, and, and there, there have been other shows too. I mean, there was a show where I placed 
as an amateur where I placed fifth that I don't know how I could have been worse than second or third. But I remember another show as an amateur, I placed second. And I, looking back, I still don't know how I was better than fourth, you know, like, um, and so, you know, like it, it, it you know, if you, if you, you know, when you look back in your objective, like it, it can go either way, you know, and, um, you know, I, like I said, I've, I've had both ways. I've had shows that have been good experiences, bad experiences. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, yeah, placing kind of can put a damper on things, but, um, you know, when I think of what shows were like run, like what shows I had good or bad experiences with a lot of it though, was still based on like how the show was run, mm -hmm. like how the show was, you know, how the show is judged in general, regardless of where I play. I mean, so I think about that, even going to shows with clients, like whether or not my clients want a show, like was the show actually ran well, was, was the judging, did people generally place where they should have, you know, like, the, you know, those are things that, that I think are important as well. Yeah, I think your the overall message of doing more than one show is so important because I think a lot of, especially first-time competitors, don't really think about doing more than one show. They're just mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm doing this one. It's local, whatever. That's um, what I did my first year, yeah. Yeah. Before, yeah. <laughs> but the the consequence of that is quite often, like you said, it's subjective, different judges, different people on the day. You don't get that much experience. I think a lot of people get put off potentially because they're, they're lean, they're tired. They don't want to do several shows. It gets expensive, but I always have to remind myself, uh, myself and remind the audience, hopefully any listeners who are thinking to compete, like it's, you're only this lean for a short period of time and you're in the best shape of your life. Like, take it for what it's worth. It's not that expensive in the long run. In actuality, I guess bodybuilding uh, or any kind of physique sport is actually one of the cheaper and uh, like hobbies you can do generally. Uh, it doesn't involve too and, much. So, And I was going to say too, it's, it's going to be two, three, four years, probably something like yeah. that for most people until you're that lean again. So if you, if you, just stick it out for a couple more weeks and, and you know, and, and do two shows separated by like three weeks or something like that, or two or three weeks, you know, those extra two or three weeks in the context of two, three, four years, just to get that second time on stage um, and, and get that added experience, I think are going to be I'm probably worth it, you know, oftentimes because it's going to be several years before you even have the opportunity to do that again. Absolutely. Peter, this has been a fantastic chat. I really appreciate it. And I think we've covered some really important, valuable take-homes for listeners. And I want to make sure that people know where they can, obviously we mentioned your Instagram, also mentioned your book. Um, so I'd love for you to kind of share where people can get hold of that. And of course, it will be linked below. Yeah, so you can you can find so you can find me on Instagram. I'm at fitbodyphysique. Uh, my website, fitbodyphysique.com. Uh, or emails fitbodyphysique at gmail.com you can find me personally on facebook my book you got one sitting right here lovely the plug. Um, you can find that my our co-authored a book with cliff wilson that came out about a year ago um, it has done really well we've gotten a lot of really good reviews on it um, and uh, it's published by human kinetics you can find that on amazon um, or anywhere else you know most other places that you can find books um, if you're a personal trainer, you can also use our book to get CEUs um, for a number of different certs. That's really um, cool. Yeah, so you can check out the Human Kinetics website and, and for more information. But um, yeah, if you buy the book, you can and you're a trainer, use it and get CEUs. Well, if you're going to already read it anyway. And when's your photo shoot now? How far out are you now? Uh, so I got a photo shoot scheduled for April 1st. Um, okay. 
so yeah yeah and then and then that's the only thing set in stone right now but yeah it um but i'm pretty pumped with with how things are looking i i'm gonna be redoing my website hopefully this year um client of mine did it originally in 2014 and he's gonna redo it for me this year um so it'd be awesome to on top of the fact that i have way more client pictures over the last six years you know than i did back yeah. then and also just getting some updated pictures of myself um, is going to be really helpful for that as well you must be just from looking at your last photos i think you're just certainly nearing on that like five percent body fat at least the glutes were coming in from the side definitely coming creeping in from the rear so yeah. you kind of much more to come off yeah no so a couple more pounds yet yeah hopefully and go about and, a month <laughs> uh, yeah yeah and then like i said you know shows yeah i mean it, I'm just keeping which ones, you know, quiet, what I'm planning to do. But yeah, I, I'm, cool. I'm this lean and I'm not going to be this lean for long and I'm not going to be this lean for several years. But, um, but yeah, I, I probably a couple more pounds yet. So I, you know, I'm, I've been working with, that's one thing that's helped me a ton too, is I worked with Cliff all basically since like 2014, 15, like basically Very when cool. I started yeah so like just having that second set of eyes so you know i worked with cliff over over my prep obviously for 2016 but then the entire off season so when we're talking about pushing food up and you know pushing my weight higher it it takes a lot of the like it's hard to as you know it's when you're involved it's hard to objectively it's you can't look at yourself like you look at a client right you can't just look at the data and objectively say yeah this is what you need to do Mm -hmm. um because you're you're always in your head and second guessing yourself and stuff and I feel like I've gotten so much out of just not, you know what I mean? Just you know, worry about my clients and then someone else can worry about me and I'll just do what I'm told. And, um, you know, and, and then it, it just, you know what I mean? It really helped me a yeah. lot. It's helped me a lot. Yeah. I think when you've got that person in your corner who you just trust yeah. and you don't need to worry about anything, you found the the coach for you that's fantastic and yeah cliff obviously the listeners will hopefully know cliff as well co-authored the book with you both of you are fantastic so again thank you so much for coming on peter it's been a fantastic chat Uh, hopefully it won't be so long to the next one i'm sure it won't be um take care and we'll talk to you guys soon So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can can log your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. 
We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.